Well, let's see. Good to be back with you. Uh, last Sunday, uh, those that were on Team 2, uh, we were worshiping in a deaf church. was a total different experience than what we just did right here uh, because obviously there's no music. And to see people worshiping uh, our Lord, another slice of the body of Christ with their hands, uh, was really something to behold. Uh, they did their scripture reading together, uh, but they were all deaf. And right here was sitting a guy who uh, was uh, without any legs. And in Thailand, deaf folk are just kind of shoved to the side. And uh, he was walking over some train tracks, didn't hear the train, and lost his legs. And so they really are the outcast of society, but uh, the lesson was from Ephesians and how each one of us are special creations in Christ, and that is true, wherever in the world you are. The last time I was with this good group of people, uh, we were at the Evangelical Church of Bangkok, uh, worshiping the Lord together with about 60 other nations. Uh, That's quite an experience, wasn't it? Uh, Yeah, yeah, but it's good to be home, good to be home. Anybody still suffering from jet lag? Okay, that's, that's a good thing. But uh, I just want you guys to know that uh, you can be very proud uh, of this team. Uh, they held up very, very well. And I want to say thank you for sending us. It was uh, the first Sunday in August when you commissioned uh, this team to go to Thailand. And here we are, the first Sunday of September, and now you're about to hear the reports from some of them of what God did during our time there. But thank you for sending us. Uh, thank you most of all for praying for us. Uh, these folk uh, crashed into some real spiritual and, and physical barriers, and it was your prayers that allowed us to serve uh, very long hours in the name of Jesus in Bangkok and in Chiang Mai. You were right there with us on the streets. Didn't you sense that? When people were praying, you can actually feel that. And know that they are. It's a powerful, powerful experience. Well, as Michael said, this Sunday next, you're going to hear some stories, some heart connection stories of what some of these folk experienced in Thailand. But the idea of of sending and hearing is not something new. In fact, it goes all the way back to the first century. The very first missionary journey, uh, the Lord set aside Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 for the work that he had uh, asked them to do. It was the first sending of missionaries to the Gentiles. And then we read this in Acts 14 after they got back. They caught a ship back to Antioch where it had all started, launched by God's grace and now safely home by God's grace. I love that. On arrival, they got the church together and reported on their trip, telling in detail how God had used them to throw the door of faith wide open so people of all nations could come streaming in. And that's a beautiful thing that's been done in the church for 2,000 years. Folk are sent, they come back, they report what God is doing in that particular part of the world. So that's our purpose over the next two weeks. I got a feeling when they went back to Antioch, which was the first sending church, uh, they didn't do it in 25 minutes on two Sundays. Uh, I guarantee you Paul and Barnabas shared a lot longer than that. But these folk are well aware now. Uh, and it's, it's painful when you've never had this kind of experience. Uh, you, I told them before we left, you got about three minutes of interest from people when you talk about going overseas before they get the glaze over their eyes and like, okay, what's next? we got to keep moving here. Uh, And so I'm glad that we can just take a deep breath and just kind of settle in. Uh, These folk are interested. They've sent you. They've prayed for you. 
and uh, they're excited to hear not only about what God was speaking to you in those moments, but what are the results of us going. Mm. Okay? So, uh, team, you may be seated. Those of you sharing, I'd ask that you remain on the platform. But let's give these folk a great hand, shall we? Let's uh, just kind of give a summary of what's happened here. Southside sent two teams, totaling 17 people, uh, to Thailand, August 10 through 27. Now, here's some stats. Uh, Thailand is slightly larger than the state of Wyoming, so that kind of gives you a picture of that. The population of Thailand is about 67 million people, most of them in the urban areas of Chiang Mai and Bangkok. That ranks Thailand 20th in the world in population. Now, each one of these folk with the black T-shirts was responsible to raise $2,000 of personal support uh, for this trip. Uh, therefore, the monies that were given from Southside went for ministry in Thailand. Each team member uh, raised their own support, and I praise God for his faithfulness. They each took at least nine days off of work and away from family. Uh, that's a big sacrifice, a big sacrifice. Each endured the heat, the humidity, the culture shock, bug bites, stomach distress, uh, crowds of people packed tightly together. Did you like that? Okay. <laughs> Spiritual, emotional, and physical exhaustion, and, of course, spending lots and lots of time with me. Wasn't that fun? Okay. (laughs) So why would they do this? Why would they make these sacrifices of time and money and resources and planning, meetings after meetings and preparation, and now there'll be debriefings, and what do we do next, all those kinds of things? Well, these folk understand the great need of the darkness of Thailand, and God was calling them to make a difference there. Buddhism is Thailand's largest religion, and 95% of the population of Thailand is Buddhist. It's mandated by law. That is the official religion of the country. Uh, Muslims make up about 4% and Christians uh, less than 1%. And so there's a great need in Thailand. Sex tourism increased significantly during the 60s and the 70s because of the Vietnam War. American troops were flown into the major cities of Thailand for what was referred to as R&R, which stands for rest and relaxation. Uh, GIs during the Vietnam War called it I&I intoxication and intercourse. That was the goal. So the Thai government passed the Entertainment Places Act in 1966, and from that point to the present, police now turn an eye towards military prostitution, in fact, prostitution of all kinds. It's estimated today that 7 out of 10 males flying into Bangkok are on a sex tour or will participate in the sex industry. And it's American-made. Hmm, kind of interesting. First case of HIV AIDS was reported in Thailand in 1984. Did you know that? First case of HIV. Thailand currently has the highest frequency of HIV in all of Asia. Thailand is one of the worst child sex trafficking records in the world. But the good news is the door is wide open for the gospel. Thai people are spiritual people. They are seeking, they are searching for answers, and many are receptive to the truth of Jesus and how we need more workers to tell them the truth. 
And that's what these folk are all about. They're into pushing back the darkness. Now, pushing back the darkness describes the, the intentional strategy of taking the gospel, the light of Jesus, into places that have little limited or no access. And we were running across people that had no idea of the Jesus story. So that's why we went. And I watched. I was watching them as their eyes bug out for the first time in, in a foreign place and all these kinds of new experiences. And I was watching them. I watched as tears roll down cheeks as they witnessed whole families kneeling before idols of gold. I watched as our teams walked the slums of the great city of Bangkok, giving out gifts of food, giving out words of Jesus' love to the homeless and to the helpless. I watched as team members wept inside the prison of the immigration detention center. Can't you see them hanging on the fence right now? In desperation, calling out for help. These are brothers and sisters in Jesus who have fled because of religious persecution and now are kept in cages as whole families in prison. Can you see them? They're still there this morning. And these team members and all the chaos in Bedlam, we'll see a little bit about that next week, shouting out because they speak English, words of hope and scriptures, and the people receiving that with such joy. <laughs> Someone cares. I watched as they interacted with the poor, talked with a woman offering services, her services at a one-hour brothel, which is common in the slums of Bangkok. I heard the stories of female team members helping women prepare for the night out on the streets that night. Applying their makeup and fingernail polish, laughing with them, hugging them, showing them the love of Jesus in very tangible ways. And then that night, these same women that they'd helped prepare that afternoon, they saw them in their places of work that night. Devastating as they were caught in the horror and exploitation of sex trafficking. I watched as our team wept as they shared their personal stories, some of them sharing their personal junk for the first time. And they broke and they wept in front of the Thai people. Beesh, can you see him? You can see him. And then the Thai people weeping in agreement that we're all just broken people, no matter where in the world we are, and the only hope is Jesus. And they did such a fantastic job. I'm so proud of you guys. And I laughed. I laughed a lot. I laughed as they bounced around on the back of elephants. I chuckled when they ate Thai food that caused sweat to bead on their foreheads and their nose are all running. I laughed some more when they got in taxis that took them the wrong way. <laughs> Uh, I laughed harder when they had completely soaked through their clothes by 10 a.m. in the morning. Got some good pictures of that. Ah, the memories. But we've got uh, three up here this morning to share how God has spoken to each of them. It was life-changing. Uh, anytime we do these kinds of things, uh, uh, the folk that we send from Southside, we will be highly gauged in relationship and ongoing relationship. This isn't a one and done. Uh, this is a building, building, building doors. And uh, those who have gone back have seen the importance of, of going back and how critical that is and how it elevates ministry once they know 
you didn't just come here for this. You came here for us. It's a game changer. Well, Aaron, how you doing? Great. Good. Uh, Can I tell him that you told me first because he wanted me to cry? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Might as well get it over with now. Uh, it was real good for Derek and Aaron to go. And uh, let's hear for Corey. That was very thoughtful. Oh, let's hear for Deb. Yeah, that's more like it. Okay. <laughs> very good. Uh, I hadn't taken the teams before uh, to Erewhon. Erewhon is a, a shrine located uh, in the center of Bangkok. And it, it kind of epitomizes uh, worship there. And so there's a, a Hindu god here. It's not Buddhist. It's Hindu. It's a, we're not going to tell the story uh, at this point. But uh, what was important was people from all over the world literally come to the shrine to worship. And uh, you can smell it. You can feel it. Uh, the darkness is there. Uh, and so we took uh, the first team uh, down to Erewhon the first full day we were there. And uh, did that impact you, Aaron? Yeah. And what you got in your hand? Um, a journal. That's a journal that each team member filled out on a daily basis. And it's important that uh, they capture those moments uh, right when they happen. And so they can do this kind of thing and relive it again and again and again in their own handwriting with sweaty pages, some of them tear-stained pages. Uh, but that's what she's got. So uh, tell us, first of all, uh, what was it like getting to Erewhon? Well, travel is very different there, um, obviously. So getting to Erewhon, uh, hot, sweaty, gross, walking on the streets filled with people. Um, and at that point, I think I was just overwhelmed and was taking it all in, the new sights and new sounds, and riding on the sky train all the people and spirit houses everywhere. So I think for me at that point, it was just still, I was a little bit starstruck, overwhelmed by just everything. Okay, so we get to Erewhon, and what did you see first of all? Uh, the offerings that were there as you begin to enter. What were some of those offerings? Um, right when you enter, there was a cage of birds um, that people could purchase, and I mistakenly took a picture and got in trouble because probably they were illegal, but oh well. Um, and then you walk through the doors of the gates and you see just an overwhelming mass of flowers and people and um, sounds and smells and it's chaos, quite literally, but um, the people are there for a very intentional reason. Uh, I wasn't prepared to see uh, men, women, children, families desperately praying to golden statue um, and it really just quite literally took my breath away I don't think any of us can really understand until you see that worship happening what it's like I, back here yeah you hear of that happening you hear of people worshiping idols and you know here in America it looks very differently you know we have idols but they're hidden and it's oftentimes busyness or things or you know, not what we would normally call an idol, but when you see someone worshiping a physical golden statue, uh, 
it was hard to see, and I will never forget the look on one woman's face. Um, I just happened to glance at her, and she was not breaking eye contact with this statue. She, with all of her heart, truly believed that this statue could give her the desires of her heart, could fill the void that was in her heart that only Jesus can fill, but she's never heard the name of Jesus. And it, it, it broke my heart because all along I've taken for granted that I knew Jesus since I was a little girl. I thought, that's not a very awesome story. People in Thailand, like they grew up, this is what they were born into. So I immediately thought of my children when I saw children worshiping these idols as well. I just thought, thank you, Jesus, that you have given me the gift of salvation. But forgive me because I have not taken it seriously. I'm taking this gift of salvation and just kind of putting it on the back burner as if it's something that I just, eh, I grew up with it. I deserve it, whatever. And there's a whole nation of people who are desperately seeking. And the word God kept giving me was waiting. There are people that are waiting to hear about him. And it just broke my heart. And there are numerous times throughout the whole trip. This is just the beginning where I was able to see people's eyes for the first time. And I just want to share with you um, uh, one of my journal entries before I left that I uh, went back and read and I realized how often God answered my prayers and how um, he really did what I asked him to do. This was on July 26th, um, and the journal entry had mentioned it just asked us to probe into ourselves and see, you know, realize that we we're going to be seeing darkness, uh, and I just, this is what I wrote. God, you know what we will see in Thailand. You know what darkness has claimed its place there. Help us to see. Give us discerning eyes so that we can claim the victory over darkness in your feeling pressed down by fear, but that is not how you want us to act as your children. You have the victory over all of it. Help me to go boldly in your name, claiming victory from bondage and oppression in your name. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Help me to really see what is going on there. And give me your strength and love to be fearless as I share your and I had a lot of anger at Satan in those moments. In the enemy, I just, I was mad. I was just mad for him deceiving them. And I'm sad that there's not thousands of people who can run there and give them the hope of Jesus right at this moment. Thank you, Erin. And I think it's important that we note um, these aren't like... Uh poor and homeless people who are worshiping. What did you notice about those who were there? They're coming from work. This is part of their daily life. They were just like you and me. They're in the hustle and bustle of the city going to and fro from the store, from work, from whatever it might be. This is just part of their life. Every single day. They're giving offerings and the ironic thing is then there's a man who comes around with a garbage bin and 
all of their flower offerings and throws them in the garbage so that the table can be refilled with more offerings. And so now you're back. And you can still see into their eyes. What are you going to do about that? It's a good question. I know I can start with my family and the people around me. I want my eyes to be open to really see into people's lives and not be so focused on myself, be so focused on, oh, I'm not feeling good today, or I have this to do today, or I have whatever, just life getting in the way um, can be pretty selfish. And I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to have my eyes opened forever and always to see into people what they really need. Good, good. Uh, you guys would have been really proud of Erin. Uh, she uh, led worship uh, to women who have uh, begun the journey of freedom from the exploitation of the sex industry. And uh, watching you uh, lead them, wasn't that fun to do? They sing loud. They sing with passion. Yeah. They cover you up, which is good. <laughs> yeah, they kind of go on their own, but they're so intentional and intense about lifting up the name of Jesus because they understand the darkness from which they've come. And so um, God used Aaron in, in real profound ways, uh, uh, both with the people and with the team. She was kind of the mom of everybody and uh, made sure uh, all the needs were met. So I appreciate that a lot, Aaron. Thanks. But it had a profound impact on your life. Yeah. Cool. Miko. Hey. How you doing? All right, good, good. Well, let's uh, think about uh, what God did in and through you and how he was speaking to your heart. Uh, some of the things that uh, we began the, the whole debrief process, and uh, you had mentioned that uh, when we first encountered the Pakistani refugees and were taken to uh, the place where they are, which is uh, pretty intense. Uh, they really can't go outside. The kids have to be quiet. Some of the kids who have been born there uh, very seldom go outside because they'll be arrested. And in uh, perfect uh, Thai fashion, uh, the place that they lived, live and they're illegals is owned by a Thai police officer. Uh, and that's just the culture. And I appreciate that Thai police officer because he's given these brothers and sisters in Christ a refuge. And so it's all twisted, it's all convoluted, but God understands all of that. And yet, uh, Miko, I was watching you when some kids were singing. What was going on in your heart? I could probably say, I think I might have been the first one to cry on the trip, but nobody knew. Probably just teaching you. But they... uh, had prepared two worship songs and they wanted to sing it uh, to us sort of as a blessing and like as soon as they started I mean the guitar was out of tune the piano wasn't on beat with the guitar but they were playing with all their heart and the kids were singing the songs and it was memorized in English uh, you know all from memory and they were singing really loud. I mean, all the kids that you see on the screen, they were singing really, really loud. And that just, it brought me joy, but it also brought me a sadness, too, because 
I don't worship with the kind of freedom they worship with. And why can't I? You know, these guys fled Pakistan because they were being persecuted. They were being chased down and possibly even killed. And who knows what other heinous acts could have happened there. And they fled to Thailand thinking, oh, this place is going to be open and free for us to worship God and to live freely. No, and then they are just locked up again. But the way that they worship God, the way that they blessed him, the way that they thanked him, I cried because I can't, can't believe that they were still doing that. And I don't even, I'm not even in that same place they are. I can't even imagine what that feels like. But yet, I can't worship with that same abandonment that they do in that same passion. Why? But it was, it was amazing. It was nothing that I've ever experienced before. And I've led worship a lot, and I've been part of many worship teams, and I've gone to worship conferences. And in that little room there, I have never experienced that kind of worship before. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of true all throughout our trip, wasn't it? Whether it was with a small group of people down in the slums or those coming out of that lifestyle of sex trafficking, you led worship in all those places. And how did that experience kind of hit your heart? I think, I don't know, I held it in, but it really messed me up. Messed me up really bad. Um, but worshiping with the women of Nightlight, holy cow, was that amazing too. Uh, it brought me nothing but joy to know that these women are now free and they were no longer living in that lifestyle that they were previously brought into. And I felt like I could worship freely with them. So I was happy, I was joyful, and um, I was thankful to be there because like Aaron said, they led us. And it's kind of sad in a way that, I, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of sad in a way that they led us, but I'm thankful that they led me. That even though I live in a privileged uh, country and I have freedom, they led me. Good. Um, Miko, Mary, Tom, and Angela, Jennifer, a lot of the folk thought they were Thai people, which makes things interesting uh, when you're in Southeast Asia. And yet uh, there was a moment when you were very, very grateful to God, thinking that could have been you if life hadn't worked out the way it did. Share what that meant to you. Um, my parents were originally born and raised in Laos, and then they fled to Thailand. And this was like in the early 80s, and they were refugees in Thailand. And for some reason, God brought them all to the U.S., and I was born here. So, you know, the Pakistanis, the women of nightlife, the people in the slums, it made me think about me and what could have been possible for me. I could have been one of those girls in the clubs, in the bars, because... We have a big family, and I'm sure that my parents would have wanted us to um, to help them live a better life. 
daughters to work. And so because I was able to put myself in their shoes, I think that's what wrecked me even more, um, knowing that these could be my sisters, this could be me. And I could have been in the IDC as well, because my parents fled and came into a country illegally. So, But I know that God has a bigger plan and purpose, not just for me, but um, for everybody who went on the trip, and especially those of us who have that Asian background. I know God brought us into the U.S. for a reason. And whatever that reason is, I hope that um, we'll be able to figure out what it is and to be able to help those that are less fortunate than us and those that have fallen into that lifestyle. So, whatever that may be, I'm asking God for answers and I want to help. So. Good, good. Uh, Miko made the request. Uh, can you take me into the back alleys and weird places? And so uh, as we were sent out in teams, she got the, the full meal deal on that one. And uh, uh, it was a joy to see what God did in your heart through that. Uh, that's a picture of Bangkok not many people get. And what you lead worship was just a delight to the rest of us. His God was moving in you. Well done. Well done. Good. Pastor Michael. Hello. Yeah, yeah. This was uh, your uh, second time. And uh, quite honestly, I wrestled uh, with taking people back. Uh, this is not some kind of glorified vacation. Uh, this is all about transformation of a life. And unless we can measure transformation, we're not going to do any of these trips. I'm not interested in going on a vacation in Thailand. I'm interested in seeing people encounter Jesus, and that's the heart of this team. And so this was a part of those who returned again. And so it was very important as I watched uh, those who had been there re-encounter. Uh, and as you went back, uh, could you see the power of relationships in, in going back again? Very much. How did it look? Because people recognized you. Yeah, it was unexpected. Like Pastor John has talked about how important relationships are in this. And so like he's taught me to connect monthly or so often with these guys like through email or, or whatever. Um, but just when we got back there and just the familiarity, just being able to encourage some of the guys who are working there, like while we haven't been there for two years and just seeing how much that impacted them, how much it strengthened them, and how much it meant to them, it was just mm -hmm. it's like... My eyes have been opened, and my mind is kind of blown with that. I don't know. It, it's so simple, and yet I, I lost it. So it was very meaningful, impactful. Good. You connected uh, with a guy that you've seen come through in the newsletters. His name is Ivan, and his wife's name is Kashmira. Uh, they are YWAM, Youth with a Mission uh, folk, uh, serving down in the slums. And uh, they've got six kids. And they're all running around the streets of Bangkok, just kind of like, whoa, this is weird. Uh, but they're weird. Wouldn't you agree with that? So I hesitate to say that because this is going to be on the podcast. And if he would happen to... Oh, I'd tell they, him that. They, they, they are. They're a little yeah. odd. Yeah, yeah. But you can tell Jesus is all over them. That's why they're so attractive. Yeah. Because you see Jesus all over them. That's, that's who they are. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about... Uh, 
those moments in the slums and what God was yeah. speaking to your heart. Can I back up a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Pastor John mentioned this is my second time there. We went back in, in 2016, almost two years ago. Um, and this was really different for me. And, and one of my prayers that I prayed a lot in leading up to this was that I would be present. Uh, present to what God wants to do and just present to people. Because uh, when I look back at like last time, like I really wasn't. I was so focused on my tasks, what I had to do, which is also how I've been largely, even at Southside, like I'm so focused on what I have to do that I've missed God and missed his heart in a lot of areas. So when I went back, like this is totally, totally different experience because I think like God showed me a lot of stuff that I wasn't ready to hear last time. Um, and I think that's important just for us as we walk day to day, like just being present to God. It's so important. Um, but as you mentioned, Ivan is odd. He's, he's not the most attractive fellow. And he's just, he's odd. But there is something that is so striking about him because he just oozes Jesus. Yeah. And it is so drawing. And it's, you want, it is so real. It's authentic. Um, but he, they live in the slums. It's like in kind of the, the worst of Bangkok. As you go to their place as, as you leave it. There's like homeless littering all over the sidewalks. It's just it's covered with them and it's kind of eye-opening. And so we walk into, and we were there before in 2016, but as I walked in, I'm just, I'm very conscious of how dirty this place is because his ministry is to the homeless. His ministry is to all these outcasts, these rejects that people just, they ignore, they don't pay any attention to. So. Like, the, the furniture is all really old. It's just worse than my furniture for, you know, you guys in your home group. But it, it's dirty. It's beat up. And it just, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, all these germs. I don't want to sit. So I, like, stand. And at some point, I, like, or, okay, I'm just, I'm going to sit down now. I'm going to be okay. But, you know, the people that he ministers to, like, they're, they're disabled. I don't know if they can bathe. Like, they don't smell, but they seem dirty. And so I'm very conscious this whole time, like, man, like, this is great, but I want to keep you guys at arm's, at arm's length. Like, I don't want to... I, I didn't feel comfortable doing this. And so part of that night, it was, it was the first day that we were there, that Team 2 was there. We went out into the slums, into the, the neighborhood, and we gave food, we gave some things, and... If we're able to have a conversation, like we try to do that, but I'm recognizing that God is showing me this ugliness inside of me. Like, yeah, I can go and I can give these people food and I can do this, but like my whole, like just great, but I don't want to, I don't want to be there with them. And as we're going through, we're going through these back alleys, um, older woman, it's like a little six by six. Thing. Just, just the dumpiest places that they're living, the dumpiest yeah. places that they're staying. And as we're doing this, and I'm seeing these people with this, they're crippled. The one guy that we walked by had these big, I don't know, like boils or some kind of nasty thing, like all over his body, very unattractive. Mm-hmm. And we're walking, and like as we talk to them or make any kind of um, connection with them at all, like their faces light up. Like, I don't think it's common that they have people come and talk to us. It was amazing. And as we're doing this, uh, I feel God, His incredible love for all of them. Yeah. 
just this incredible love, how much he loves these people, that I am willing to keep it at arm's length. And in this, I can see that this is where he would be. He would be here right among them, not holding at arm's length as I am, but he would be right there with them, ministering to them, speaking truth to them, loving them. And I think normally I would feel shame. And I started to feel shame a little bit because this is like ugliness in my heart. I don't want to be, like, I'm uncomfortable. This is, it's, it's yucky and I, like, part of me wants to go and bathe right away when I get back. But in this, even in the middle of my ugliness, I can sense God, his love for me, even in my weakness. And just the, the, really the ugliness of my own heart. And he's just patient and he's just sharing with me how much he loves these people. And it was that sense, that love for me, even in, you know, I don't have everything together, right? Like, I'm a pastor, I should be above all this stuff. Um, but he was gentle, he's, he's merciful to me. And, and as he's sharing his love to me for these people, and, and to me, even in this ugliness, like, it makes me want to love these people like Jesus does. And it was just so, it was so amazing. It really was so amazing. And I, I felt Jesus all through that night and just, it was incredible, really. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something we need to bring back here with us. And I was so proud of you to be able to, even after those, you actually went and hugged some of the guys. Yeah. I was so proud of you. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> And I could do that, and really, mm-hmm. I wanted to. Like something kind of broke there, and I think that's where Jesus' love—it it breaks barriers, it tears down walls, and that's a love that they don't know. Like they don't know anything about what that's like. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really proud of this guy. You can be as well uh, of all the team. Uh, last Sunday, uh, Michael was leading us at the Deaf Church, and uh, his material went like 13 minutes, and they wanted an hour. I'm like, uh, okay. I said, Michael, and it was cool because no one could hear me. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> no, I was. I was. <laughs> right in the middle of the service, I said, Michael, put your phone down and speak to them from your heart. So Michael was being translated into Thai and Thai into sign language then. And so, Michael, I was just so very proud of you. You put down your phone and your notes, and you just shared from your heart. And that's what the world is hungering for, that kind of authentic just speak from your heart what Jesus has done and give him the glory and all the rest he'll do. So I was so proud of you in that moment. I really was. Uh, and it was stretching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it'd be like church on Sunday. I'd be saying, Michael, keep going. Speak from your heart. But it was kind of cool because no one could hear me. <laughs> that was fun. Uh, but to watch each of you grow was so important. And now it's important that we take these experiences and we translate that into transformation. Otherwise, we just slap ourselves on the back and say, wow, another mission trip, whoa. And nothing wrong with mission trips. Short-term mission trips are vital, I believe, personally. 
because uh, until you put boots on the ground, it's hard to explain. And that's why I wanted these folk this week and next to share from their hearts uh, some of the things. And, but it's important that the transformation continue. And so, uh, Bill, I'm going to ask you to stand and pray uh, right now, just that God would continue the good work that he's begun. Uh, Bill, you were there uh, right out in that lobby when the team left, and I appreciated that much. And you, both times, yes, both times. And you've been praying over these people. And I'm going to ask you to uh, launch a great prayer of faith that we want to agree with, that this would be the beginning of something new right here, right now, uh, for us as a church family. Okay, let's pray together, church, shall we?